Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. My name is Ezra Balser, and today we're going to be studying Yuvamot Daf Yud Aleph. We will uh, start today on Yud Aleph Amid Bet, um, about 16 lines from the top. Uh, that's really we're really just going to orient ourselves to the subject um, so that we could stay in the mindset of Yuvamot as we continue our Daf Yomi cycle, but. Uh, well, really, today I'd like to discuss some of the exegetical principles used in the sugya and how we might think about that in a more global sense moving forward. So, 16 lines from the top, we have Ba'i Mine, Rav Yehuda, Mirav Sheshet, Hamachzir, Kirshato, Mishinisait, Vamet, Saratam, Ahu. So, Rav Yehuda asks the question of Rav Sheshet. Um, what what is the trying to figure out? What's the law with regards to the tsara, the the rival? of a woman whose uh, first husband remarried um, after she got married again, so she was divorced and remarried, um, and then he died. Um, this is all very complicated, uh, so I don't want to get too hung up, but that is, um, that's the question. Um, and then I want to move on, actually, to the 24th line. After they try to figure out um, and they try to create a Xera Shava to understand the ruling. They try to use an, an exegetical principle using the word Tumah um, to try to derive a parallel meaning from the from two different times that word pops up, um, namely in our case with regards to the um, Kurusha, and then in another case with regarding the Sota. So the, regarding the divorcee and the, and the Sota, the woman accused of adultery. Um, so they're they're trying to use a drash, a uh, interpretation, to mean to say what the text really means in another place. They're trying to use a drash in one pasuk to say that's what the pshat is in another pasuk. And then um, there is an objection to that using the phrase in the twenty fourth line. They say, "Ain mikra yatsemi de pshuto." Oh, Dilma Kevan de Iakar Iakar. That we 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 do not uh, a text is not removed from its simple meaning, um, which is the famous phrase, and then the Gemara tacks on in, in a little bit. Or perhaps since it has been uprooted, it's completely uprooted, and we don't ever go back to its original meaning. Um, so I actually want to talk about um, this major phrase, "Ain Mikra Yitzay Midei Pshuto." Um. This is a uh, commonly used phrase, and it actually only appears three times in the Bavli, um, twice in Yavamot and once in Shabbat. Um, so I would like to very briefly look at all three instances of this um, of this phrase, and then think about what it means in each case. Because although people may uh, say it uh, and think that it has a, a ubiquitous definition, um, it certainly does not within the Bavli. Um, let alone moving forward from there. So um, going in order of 
of, of the Dafyomi cycle, I thought uh, in the order of Shas, um, we'll jump back to Shabbat, Amud, Samach Gimel, uh, Daf Samach Gimel, Amud Aleph, and um, we're right at the Mishnah, which is uh, seven lines from the top. Lo Yitzah lo b'sayef, lo b'keshev, lo b'tris, lo b'alav, lo b'romach, v'im yitzah chayav chatat. Um, so we're discussing what people can bring uh, out or not uh, with regards to weapons on Shabbat. Um, so a person, can, according to the Mishnah, a person cannot go out of their house with a with a sword, with a bow, with a shield, with a lance, or with a spear. Uh, but if they do go out with those things, they are they are chayav to bring a korban chatat. Rabbi Eliezer, Amer Tachshitin Henlo. Rabbi Eliezer disagrees and says, no, these are actually like adornments. It's like jewelry. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe people have sort of bedazzled uh, swords or shields and uh, it makes them look cool. I'm not really sure. Um, you know, certainly those kinds of things, uh, you know, who knows why people would wear them, but in some cultures it is uh, possible to think, according to Rabbi Eliezer, that it's actually not um, a weapon so much as jewelry. The Chachamim mean Einan Elegnai, the Chachamim totally disagree. This is, this is, this is an insult. This is this is really in poor taste. Um they bring a very famous pasuk, um, and they'll throw down their swords um, and their uh, and their spears will become uh, and uh, will become pruning hooks, and they will not. Um, they will not engage. Uh, they will uh, nation will not engage with nation. Will not lift up sword against another nation. No, neither shall they uh, learn uh, war anymore. Um, and then they ask about a birit, which is a, uh, I believe, a type of another type of lance. That's tehora. That's uh, you can you can take that out. Veyotzin b'shabat and kevelin, which are uh, another type of weapon. I believe um, chains. Uh, they are tmeim. Um, they are tame and and then you can't go out with them on Shabbat. Um, I want to skip down a little bit uh, for the sake of time within this um, Shabbat sugya, uh, just to get a sense of where we are. So we are from the from the bold and, and Gemara. Uh, no, so let's do from the, from the wide lines. We have one, two. Uh, we have 18 lines from the top. Um, in the middle of Amri Layabaila, Rabbi Yosef Maitama to Rabbi Eliezer, what is the reasoning of Rabbi Eliezer, who we know said that you could bring these weapons out because they are uh, they are considered jewelry or adornments. Um, he says, Amar Hanlo, as we just said, Dichtiv, and the, this is the reason he brings this Pasuk. Chagor Charbecha al Yercha Gibor Hodecha Vehadarcha. That you should, you can uh, gird your sword upon thy thigh and um, 
Gibor, the, the mighty one, and that will be your glory and your splendor. Um, they, we'll just continue briefly. Amar le Rav Kahana, Lamar, uh, Lamar, Bere de Rav Huna, Hayabidivre Torah, Ketiv. Uh, and so all these people say, well, no, this Pasuk is actually talking about Divre Torah, that you, that the sword in the, in the Pasuk from Tehillim is actually, um, it's an analogy. It's a, it's, it's a, sorry, it's an allegory for Torah, that you should um, have Torah on your thigh, and that will be your God's splendor and glory and majesty. Amarle, their the response is Amy Kraid say de Pshuto. That the that the Pasuk does not um is not removed from its simple meaning. So even though that the Pasuk we all we all generally understand the Pasuk to be talking about Torah, you can't you can't get away from the fact that it says sword. That's what it means in Shabbat. And we'll come back to that in a second when we review all of these things. Um, so the, the the next case is our case in Yavama, which we already went over. That we learned that that Gzera Shava, Mandaf Yudal, if I would bet in in Yavamo to understand that the that we're talking about a Sota, not a Grusha. And then the third case is uh, in Yavama Kafdalid Amud Aleph. Um, we are. So 20 lines from the top is where it appears, Ein Mikra Yitzayim Edeb Um From the Gemara, I don't want to go through all of this right now, but they end up um, discussing this idea of whether or not the, um, a son born out of um, a leveret relationship, uh, we have this idea that, um, that he's going to establish the name of the father. Right, That's the Pasuk that we have. Um, Nikum al Shem Achiv. That's from uh, that's from Devarim, and then we end up learning out that had had we not had this tradition, um, basically of Rava, um, that who teaches us that we actually it's not we don't actually mean he will establish he will he will establish the name of his brother he will actually inherit his property. Um, so this case of Lo Yitzemidei Pshuto actually goes. Um, exactly against, completely against what you would think the pshat would be. This drash is the opposite of the pshat. Um, so I was reading um, an essay by Aviad uh, Shlomo uh, Moria, and um, he I thought he explained it very well that, that these three cases um, give us three layers of what this could mean. In the first case, in Shabbat. Um, we understand that the pasuk doesn't lose its shot just because of the drash. So the the, the sword means Torah in in the in the drash of the pasuk from Tehillim. It still says sword. We can't get rid of that. In the second case in Yavamot, that we understand that that the pshat could mean that we could derive a pshat from an exegetical principle of Gzera Shava and of understanding parallel language. And the third case in Yavamot Kafdala that. Um, the Xera Shava, the parallel language, um, actually teaches us the opposite of what we think the the shot would be.
So we have those three ideas of what Ain could mean, uh, which all three are very different. Uh, so what do we do with that? I was reading an essay by Rabbi Steinsaltz. Um, he uh, pointed out something very interesting. In the traditional uh, worldview, where we see God as the author of the Torah, and if I choose uh, to live in that worldview, then then when I'm trying to understand every pasuk in the Torah, I'm also trying to understand the author. That's sort of, you know, we also think about that when we learn literature. Um, you know, what was authorial intent? We think about that in law also. Um, but in this case, since the author is is God and God is infinite, it is impossible to grasp God and therefore it is impossible to completely understand the shot of the text and and identify with that. Um, there's something completely within, beyond our grasp about everything that we read in the Torah. On the other hand, he does say that the general usage of this term, in does mean that, like what we saw in the first case in Shabbat, that once we have the drash, that doesn't mean that we lose the pshat. Um, and so there's this tension that there is a pshat to be had, and then there are these deeper levels, and we don't lose one just because of the other. On the other hand, do we ever really have the pshat? Um, is that something that's even possible to attain? Not to mention the other two examples in um, that that could mean that the Peshat is nowhere close to what you would think the Peshat would be without a certain amount of additional um, study and use of exegetical principles. So we have, again, so just to go back to the tension of, of Rabbi Steinsaltz, what do we do when thinking about the fact that the Peshat is completely unattainable versus when we have the pshat and we have a drash, that we don't lose the pshat just because of the drash. So I, I'm going to try just to say that we should try to harmonize both of these things. That there are going to be certain things when we're reading Torah that are going to seem obvious to us or simple to us, and it's going to seem like the pshat. But I think that we should continue to hold in mind always the fact that when we're learning Torah, that there is something infinite and beyond words about God and God's message and God's teaching. You have to always hold in your mind that you do not have a grasp on even what you think is the shot. At the same time, you can't allow that to paralyze you, and you don't want to stay stuck in the mud. So when you have something that you think is the shot. You should continue to look for deeper meaning. Look for those drashot. The only caveat is to always be aware of the fact that we can never totally grasp and understand what God has given us through the Torah. Bakritov. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.